Welcome to episode 165 of Auto Off Topic. What's up, Brad? Not too much, Andrew. What's going on with you? Not much. Uh, you, the last time you recorded, you were here I in was. studio. And I was. And then you got in the car and drove across country. I did. It took about three days. So, but it was the most uneventful cross-country trip I've ever had. Well, I mean... You weren't sure if you wanted to go, but uh, Bradley was heading that way, so you two drove out kind of together for a little while. Yeah, separate cars, but together. Yeah, kind of caravan. Yeah, yep. And uh, that car, I mean, the last time you drove it really far from Alabama to here was actually in worse condition, technically, Yep. than when it left here, so I knew you'd be fine. I I figured I would be, too. I just got nervous because at the last minute, the person who was to ride with me had got called back home. He had to fly home instead, um, which isn't a big deal. You know, stuff happens. Life happens. Um, but I decided that at the last minute, I was like, you know what? I don't want to drive it by myself just in case. You know, it was like this. I had these feelings of badness floating around in my head because of the him canceling. And I was like, hey, something else will go wrong. I don't know. I'm just not going to do this. So I actually bought a plane ticket. Yeah. And then I went back to your house, and you and Bradley and Stephanie made sure that I uh, got rid of that plane ticket because you guys wanted me to drive the car home. Right. So I think what sealed it for me was the fact that Bradley was going with me in the car in front of me, and worst case scenario, he had a trailer hitch, Mm -hmm. and we could have dollied the car the rest of the way if we had to. Right. I was just nervous because I don't know the car very well. I hadn't put that many miles on it. Um, The fuel pump's been a little bit loud. Uh, they kind of are loud. Um, yeah, it gets louder though as the car is warming up. All right, as it gets as it gets warmer. So I don't think that's good. Uh, then yeah, you should just grab one and swap it in. It's not that hard. Yeah, that's the plan. I think you can do it in the car, and that you're gonna drop the tank or anything. I, There's an access panel, maybe. Yeah, but actually on the front wheel drive, on the all-wheel drive, there's definitely an access panel because you have to get to it from the top. But I feel like when I was under the car looking at brake stuff... I oh, it's on, the, it's on the side. It's yeah. on the side of the tank facing forward towards the beam axle in the back. Yep, yep. So I, you do have to put it up, like, you could just back it onto ramps. Right. Uh, and then do it, and it's a bunch of, like, it's like eight eight mil bolts that hold the flange on. Yeah, I know it's not hard to do. It's yeah, just... you just got to be real careful, make sure you use a lot of... Uh, the car's not that rusty, but I'd still spray some rust penetrant on them and just be real careful because there's the very small studs on the tank. Yeah, and honestly, it's probably fine. It's probably not even damaged at all. It's just I'm um, just over oversensitive to the noises the car makes, especially because I was planning on driving it 3,000-some-odd miles. It's probably fine, but on all of my Mitsubishis of that era, I've I've just done the fuel pumps. Preventatively? Well, I've, had, I've only had one... Only one in the 89 failed, like, away from home. But yep. the rest of them I, I've just done to do them. Right. Um, yeah, I would just do it. And then uh, the only other thing I, I know that car, like, it seems to have original coolant hoses. Yes. And so since you moved to where, I mean, it's at least cooler season where you are now, but I would change those hoses out. Yeah, I don't know if they're original or original replacements, but they are definitely the original style. Yeah, they're dimpled like the original ones would have been. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, I would change those. But they, they're very pliable. They don't have any. They are, but. Anyway, 
Long story short, the car made it here. It did. Um, I didn't have any time to do many excursions off track with it. Um, I know originally we planned when you were going to be driving the car across country with me, but that got canceled a while ago. Um, we were going to stop and take a picture of the vehicle in front of the plant where it was made. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, that plant no longer says Mitsubishi on it anywhere. It doesn't matter. And, it, and even the street that it's on, they changed the name from Mitsubishi Motors Drive. It was a it was a different idea for a story because it was a similar case. Right. Um, and that still might be a thing, so I don't want to give it away too much. Um, oh, okay. I didn't know that. That's all right. Um, and then I'm looking over here. The next time you're here with a car or you have a car going back, I should send you back with this aluminum radiator because it should fit that car. Yeah, but it's got a hole in it. Yeah, but there's more radiator shops out where you are. Somebody could probably fix it, and then you have a nice aluminum radiator for the car. And we'll see what happens. For just the money of fixing it. But, yeah, regardless. Um, But it made it here. That's all that matters. It did. And And it was um, pretty pretty drama-free. AC worked. Cruise control worked. There was no, like, moments of any kind of panic. It was just get in the car and drive and drive and drive and drive. And we kind of went across the middle of the country, like I-40 a lot of the way. Uh, like 80, 88, I think, to 40. So you went to like St. Louis and then down through Oklahoma. So it was, it was, a, it was fairly picturesque. There's some neat scenery around there. Yeah. I drive, drove right next to the arch. Didn't have time to stop, but it's right next to the highway. Um, yeah, through Amarillo. And you probably just kind of saw him from the highway just to the Cadillac Ranch. We, I did see the Cadillac Ranch, yep. Yep. Yep, that was on the other side of... I spent the night at uh, Naomi's sister's place in Oklahoma. So that was on the other side of that. So I'm sure I'll be going... I, I wanted to save that for when I was out there with Naomi so we can both go together. Isn't that the smallest of small towns? It's ridiculous, yeah. It's very, very small. A one-stoplight town. Yep. It doesn't even need it. It's like they put it there to feel modern. Yeah. But so the one stop that I really did make for any kind of pictures was on Old Route 66 in Elk City, Oklahoma, because I knew they have the um, the largest Route 66 sign on Route 66. So I was like, that's a good picture taking opportunity, and it's only like 10 minutes out of my way, so I'll do that one. So but that was the only stop I made. I took a picture, and I think I posted it to our page. I think it was yours. Oh well, I'll post it again maybe at some point, but it's on my Instagram page, which is of course Tissus 350. That's right. Yeah, TSISS350. It's on there. Um, but yeah, it's the only really stop I made other than stopping for food, gas, stretching, and sleeping. So it worked out well. Cool. 10, 10 out of 10 would do again. Yeah. So now you only have to get really the Colts and the Camaro out there when you have space. Yeah, there's not, nothing else is coming out here until I have a space to put them. Because the Sapporo's here, Majetta's here, and the Eclipse is here now. Um, more than likely I'll just have them shipped out here. Yeah. But driving the Eclipse, you have one less car to ship, so. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I got like 31, 32 miles per gallon the whole way across the country. That's pretty good. It's, it's better than expected and it's pretty good for a 1993 car with cruise control on at like 75, 80 the whole way. You gotta figure that, that car is kind of slippery. Yeah, no, it is. Compared to, like, I a new car, it's got a way smaller frontal area. Yeah, and I didn't drive much at night either, so the headlights are down most of the time. So that probably helped. But, no, anyway, it's here. 
I drove it again last night just to drive it around here, make sure it's all good, and it is. So, yeah, that that'll be a fun car to go up, um, take up in the mountains. Yeah, you'd think that, but driving it through the mountains in the way here, the mountains here get such high elevation fast yeah. that the car has no power up there. Oh, I thought that was like your your plan was it to? Yeah, it was until I drove it at nine thousand feet. Oh, really? Uh. It's yeah. I mean, it's it's a momentum car at that point. You got to make sure you're you're carrying speed because um, it's like probably a hundred and thirty horsepower car, hundred and forty horsepower car. Yeah, maybe. yeah, it is. So when you get up around nine thousand feet, it's probably a ninety horsepower car. Yeah, wouldn't be any worse than like having a Miata for. Going no, and like I said, it's 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 definitely doable. It's just it's gonna become more of a momentum car than anything else. It's not fast by any means. But it's even less not fast at 9,000 feet. So, and a lot of the mountains here are very high. So, yeah, you go up, you, you climb a lot to get up there. But, I mean, even with the worn out suspension, it was still fun. And worn out suspension in a car loaded with stuff, it was still fun coming down through the mountains. So, it'll definitely be fun when it's when it's set up right and, and everything's good to go. So, one step at a time. It certainly has more power in the mountains than the Zapporo did. So... That car has no power up by. So now I know it'll be fun. that and eventually car... I have a turbo car here too. So yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, now I know that car has cup holders in the console. It does. Yep. Do you use them? Uh, I do on a regular basis. Yeah. I didn't across country because I had so much stuff in the back of the car that I couldn't open the center console up the whole way. Yeah, that's the only annoying thing. <clears throat> it's literally. Is on my mind because we were just talking to someone about cup holders and old cars, and it's like a thing you don't think about anymore until you get in an old car, and you're like, "crap, where do I put There's my no cup holders?" Yeah, no. So that, this car has cup holders, but I could not use them. Um, but I had so much stuff in the car that I was able to like create a pocket next to like a suitcase in the center console where I could slide a cup in and it stayed still. So that was fine. Um, but yeah, when the car is empty and like normal daily driving style, the cup holders are fine. They're in the center console, which is annoying because the center console is your armrest and it has to be open. Yeah. But yeah, the glance the same way. And the cup holders are only like an inch and a half deep. Out of these, the cup holders in the Eclipse are very deep. Yeah. They're really deep. Yeah. Um, I remember one time I was using my town has the same setup. Obviously I went to, I was like 20 in college and I, you know, I got off for, lunchtime i went up to the taco bell and then i i got the drink you know one of those giant taco bell drinks and like there was a defective cup and it split up the center and it just filled it filled that luckily the whole thing comes out it just filled it like a trough of pink lemonade it's awesome i was like sweet this is cool but hey at least you had the cup holder so it didn't wind up spilling all over the car yeah so because what i usually do is a lot of my older cars um, they don't have a center console, and they're mostly manual transmission with an e-brake in between the seats. And you can usually kind of like jam a cup in between the e-brake handle and the passenger seat, which nine times out of ten works fine. Oh, probably nine hundred ninety-nine times out of a thousand works fine. But every now and then is that one time like it pops the lid off or it splits the side of the cup, and then you have a disaster, a disaster inside your car. So it's not ideal. But what do you usually buy the like dollar cup holders? So. Yeah, I do. The ones that you hang from your window frame. Yeah, they they're, they work for me. I know other people don't like them. Um, but you just have to know what kind of cup you can put in there. 
Or if I'm going somewhere, I'll make sure I have a drink in a resealable container. Right. Like, if I know I'm going to be driving a long time in an older car, like, A, living in Arizona, I have learned that I always have a water bottle with me. Yeah. So I have, like, uh, RTIC, Ar- Arctic Tumbler. Arctic, like 32 yeah. Ounce, yeah Which, Arctic Tumbler. <clears throat> funny story. I didn't know how that was pronounced. And I was like, why are all these, are these Rittic? <laughs> Yeah, Arctic. Arctic. Yeah, yeah, Durr, that makes sense. But I was like, to Stephanie, I was like, you know, those Rittic cups. She's like, what are you saying? So I have like a 32-ounce, you know, Arctic tumbler that I put water in. So I can have that in most of my cars. And those seal pretty nicely and don't leak. Mm. Um, So it's actually been pretty good because if I stop for food somewhere, I just don't buy a soda. I just have my water. So it's better for my overall health as well. But, yeah, if I'm going to be going for a long distance, you know, and you're at the store and you can buy, oh, there's a 99-cent can of Arizona iced tea or there's a 99-cent bottle of Arizona iced tea, I'll usually buy the bottle with the resealable cap just for old car life. Mm. So. It's just a funny thing to think about cup holder design where, like, uh, do you remember the, the, so the 95 Mirage had one, but it was under the radio? Yeah, it was You weird. didn't even know it had one? No, somebody else borrowed the car. Yeah. And the car came back, and there was a cup holder under the radio. And I was like, where the hell did that come from? And they were just like, it's been there the whole time? You just didn't know it? And this person wasn't a car person at all. They just borrowed my car. And they just assumed there was a cup holder there because they're used to driving modern cars that have cup holders somewhere. Yeah. So they poked and prodded at the dashboard until they found a cup holder. This was like four or five years into my ownership of the car, and I had no idea there was a cup holder under the radio. Yeah, but it had to go... But then, like these giant soft drink cups, it's in front of the you radio. Couldn't, you couldn't, and you couldn't shift into third gear or fifth gear. Yeah, because the cup old cups were in the way of the shifter. So, and then also Volkswagen had a horrible design for a long time too that popped out of the dashboard on top of the radio. I think a Subaru did that too for a while. My Subaru has one. Yeah, Volkswagen usually out, do yeah. too. But it puts the cup over the radio. So the whole time their cup is sweating, it sweats down onto the radio, or if it spills, it spills onto the radio. Therefore, obviously, water and electronics don't usually mix very well, so it's not very good. But, no, it is weird, because a friend of ours just bought a Volvo 240, Yeah. and uh, he was talking to us this morning where he was lamenting getting in his car on the way to work and being like, oh man, I forgot, this car doesn't have cup holders. I feel like because when I had mine, I just opened up the console, the center console, I had like a single square opening and you just jam a cup in there i'm sure but it's just one of those things that that's how we brought this up because you don't think about getting in a car anymore not having cup holders especially if you daily drive something that was built in the last 10 years yeah because now everything's got cubbies and cup holders and like bottle holders and it's like yeah in the in the front of my jetta there are four cup holders there's one on each door and then two in the center console yeah so you don't you don't even think about it. Like you finish a drink, you put it in the door the door one, and then you open a second bottle of drink, whatever it is. Yeah, and then for how big like smartphones are, they've put cubbies now where you can put them. Right. Which the Volvo two forty has one of those. But it's <laughs> yeah. not for a smartphone, it just happens to have a cubby where they fit nicely. No, it's the oh. the shelf. Remember the shelf in the center of the dash? Like the just yep. weird design shelf? Yeah, very much like a first gen Montero Raider has. Yeah. Over the radio it's got a little shelf. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just funny to think about that because you don't think about that anymore. And I remember it being a huge deal in the 80s when, like, Chrysler minivans 
people were like touting how many cup holders they had, and all the car magazines used to always joke about how we don't care about cup holder count, we only care about performance. Yeah. But now here we are, fast forward 30 years later, the magazines do care about cup holder count. Yeah. <laughs> it's become something that people actually care about. So. Well, like my mom's 850 had cup holders that slid out over the center console window switches. Also a bad idea. Yeah, it would drive her bananas because yeah. it was before fast passes. So, like, we'd be going to New Hampshire and, like, she'd have to go through the tolls and then, like, trying to reach under. Way. At least it was an auto down for the driver's side, but she'd have to. She's trying to come up to the tolls and, like, look ahead, but also find the window switch. Right. She's like, that, she's like that's the only thing I hated about that car. It's funny. The uh, Eclipse is auto down on the driver's side window, too. Yeah. Which is funny for a 90. Early '90s car. So, actually, I was just thinking, when do you, when do you think the cup holders really became a thing? Like, what generation of cars? I uh, I think it was the '90s. It had to be the '90s. Wow. Maybe like luxury. I bet luxury cars had them in the '80s, and it trickled down into the more economy cars in the '90s, and now everything has to have it. I'm thinking back to all the cars that I've owned over the years and the years that they were. And that Mirage was a '95 with right. secret cup holders. Um, but your Talon is a 90 and has the cup cert in right. the middle but, of the... But that was an $18,000 car in 1990. I was going to say, but also my 1990 Talon used to have a CD player from the factory, which was exactly. like huge in 1990. Um, but then I think, too, I have that 97 Saab. Right. And that car has no cup holders. Really? Yeah. That seems weird for a Swedish car. Like, but, they designed that. But the 97 Saab, that body style came out in 85. Oh, uh, that's true. So as they upgraded it, they added airbags and stuff, but I guess they just never added cup holders. But I bet if you were playing with luxury cars from the 80s, you know, if you had like a 5 Series or a 7 Series BMW, maybe they have cup holders. I, I never okay. really looked or paid attention to that. So I had a couple of Cressidas. Yeah. Uh, one was earlier, so that definitely would not, but I had the 85, yeah. and that did, not have a, that did not have a cup holder. And that was Toyota's like flagship sedan. It was like its proto-Lexus. Um, and I remember having the one hanging off the mirror, hanging off the uh, door sill, I mean, on that car, too. So, anyway, whatever. Yeah, it's just a weird thing to think about, like a little detail. Yep. It's like that, I want a cup holder and I want Bluetooth in a car now. Right. That's really the only luxury thing I need. And I can guarantee you that none of my 80s cars have Bluetooth, at least not from the factory. It's easy to retrofit now. It's getting even easier. Uh, it's super easy now, like I did it with the Raider. Yeah. All I did was plug in the um, the antenna disruptor into the antenna hole in the back. Yeah. And just disrupts the radio, and it works perfectly. There's no interference ever. Right. So. I know the next thing for the Bluetooth, Talon. Bluetooth dongle off of that. Yeah. The next thing for the Talon is a uh, the Continental Radio, the orange one. Yep. You can probably get the same one for I Eclipse. I 100%, 100% plan on it. Yeah. Um, and then I'll have Bluetooth and neat stuff like that. Yeah, 100% plan on it. I'll probably be driving this car a lot. So. And then I actually, um, speaking of that, when I was, I think we briefly touched on this when I was out in Arizona the, a couple weeks ago, we went through that junkyard and I found there was a one first gen, like probably like a 93 with the sealed beams. Uh, Not the sealed beams, pop, the composite it was a headlights. Car. I thought it was a pop-up car. Uh, it doesn't matter. It was early. Yeah, no, this, this is it was a ninety. I remember looking at the Vintag. On okay, it. Um, but it had. I happened to po- like poke my head inside. Somebody had taken the radio out and not destroyed the surround and the Somehow. pocket that was underneath. So I didn't have 
my car, my talent originally came with a double din. I never had the pocket, and I currently just have right. a block off plate that I yeah. You had like the Crutchfield block off plate. Yeah, and then I to like jazz it up, I stuck a, uh, I had a, a spare sill plate with the Eagle logo, and I just double yep. stuck it to it just to yep. make it look. I don't know. I thought I think it looks kind of cool still. Sort of factory. Yeah, and then. Uh, but now when I get a new radio, I'm going to put a pocket under there because I have no place to put a smartphone because at the time when I did it, smartphones weren't a thing in 2002. So right. I have no place to keep my phone if it's Bluetooth or plug in, plugged in to charge. So. If only they made a suction cup for your windshield. Yeah, but I don't <laughs> I don't use it a lot for GPS. I don't need it suction cup to the windshield. I also don't like right. the way those look. No, I, don't, I wouldn't want to leave one there all the time. That's what I use to use GPS across country, but I took it off immediately when I parked the car. Yeah. So. I do like the little magnet mounts. That is a really handy thing. Um, I know you've got one that clips into the vent. Yeah, the only problem with using a vent mount one like that in an old car is that usually the vents are brittle. Right. So I don't use those in the old cars. And the stick-on ones work great uh, as long as it's like a horizontal surface because otherwise mm-hmm. when it gets hot, and they're on a vertical surface, they just peel they off. fall off. Yeah. So you could put one inside your new pocket. This is auto off just... topic, the minutia of car accessories. Hey, whatever. That's very These are little topic, things actually. that people like, so. Yeah. No, the um, the pocket, actually. So in my old Silverado, I had the pocket underneath the radio. Yeah. And I had the, I think the company's called Wizgear that makes the magnet mounts. Yeah, it works really well. Yeah, yeah, I mounted it just far forward enough in that pocket so there was a like slightly beyond flush, so the phone would stick right to that magnet right there. Because so you it, could probably do that in the Talon. Yeah, when it's, not on, when it's not on there, you can't see it. Yeah, because so it's, it's basically like you either have the like five to ten dollar whiz gear mounts or Garbage. a seventy to a hundred dollar RAM mount. Yeah, which yeah, exactly. I've got a nice one in the truck because it's cool if I actually do go off-road or down bumpy roads. Like, the magnet ones will just fall off because of vibration. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the ram mount, the phone will not go anywhere, which is good. Correct. Um, but, like, that was super expensive. So, like, just in the Subaru and the other stuff, I, I've got the little magnet mount. And then uh, I think well, Stephanie had the magnet mount. I don't know if it's still in there. Because... That was the other crazy thing. So when we bought Stephanie's Crosstrek, it came with CarPlay, um, you know, Android Auto. And uh, you could play, like, all your music and your podcasts through it. And then sometime about six months ago, it updated. No, almost a year ago now, it updated. And now it plays the maps through the screen. Okay. Which is kind of cool. So you don't have like to it, actually like, have like the it mirrors phone it. Yeah. stuck up on the dash. That's neat. It was just a weird update. Whatever, it makes sense. They're trying to go full hands-free, then yeah, the less things you have to look at your phone for, the better. So, well, that worked out. That's cool. Anyway, moving off of car accessories. Yeah, let's talk about <laughs> selling cars. Um, yes. This really kind of strange thing popped up in our local, um, well, my local now, uh, DSM group. It'll, it'll always be my local DSM group. Yeah. So one of the, one of the, but probably one of the founding member, uh, members, uh, his name's Leon. He's selling his, I think it's a 98 GST convertible. Possibly. Um, but he converted this car cause they never sold 
Eclipse convertibles as all-wheel Talent. drive turbo. You can get front-wheel drive right. turbo. Yeah. So he did the full conversion, converted to all-wheel drive, and yep. then also added Talon front and rear bumpers and maybe the rear spoiler. Right. So it looks like an Eagle Talon convertible. It also actually looks really good. Also something that was never built by uh, Mitsubishi or Eagle. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can only get an Eclipse convertible. Interesting. Yep. I didn't really, yeah. But anyway, and, and I think he's also got fourth gen seats in it, which actually work pretty well. Are they fourth gen or are they RX eight seats? They're very similar. Okay. It might be RX eight seats, but yeah, it's got that diamond in the middle of the headrest, yep. which fourth gen eclipses also have a similar design. Right, because second gen eclipse seats are kind of square and ugly. Yeah. Um, regardless, the car's the car's very nicely done. It's got a lot of performance mods to it. Like it's it's not slow at all. I think it's probably like a, a low twelve second car. Yep. Uh, and it handles well too because he uses it for autocross. But he wants to sell it, and he went on Facebook Marketplace because what else do you do it on? You either do it that, or you pay the five bucks for Craigslist, right? And and this problem didn't even occur to me because we just had a friend recently sell his Corvette on there, but it was a O two Z O six, so it was an expensive car still. Uh, he, was, he was asking market value, for and it. he was asking market value for it. Yeah, and like I have my uh, Saab on there right now. Um, and I'm asking, you know, slightly below market value for the car. Uh, because it's it. a normal old Saab. It's it's a yep. nice car, and somebody should buy it, but it's it's just a stock Saab 9000. Yeah, I think book value is like 2300 and I put it for sixteen, so that was yeah, not an exactly. Issue. Yeah. But apparently, he tried to list this car for $9,000, which is not an absurd price for... Considering what's done to it. Exactly. Yeah. It's an enthusiast car. It's a very specific you car. You couldn't build this car for twenty grand, you know? No. Um, but Facebook came back like automatically and was like, you need to reevaluate the price of this car. It does not match. Like somehow they it wouldn't let him Kelly blue book. Even, I think. Yeah. It wouldn't let him even post it. Yeah. It was really weird. Yeah. Screenshot it. Um, yes. It basically, it came up like when you filling out something online and you make a mistake and like, it brings you back to that page and when the mistake is highlighted in red, it was basically right. that like the price is wrong. And it's oh. like, wait. It's my car, man. Oh, here <laughs> it is. Uh, so he he put a screen grab, and then I screen grabbed it so I could use it. Uh, it says, how this price compares. Price range for similar Mitsubishi Eclipse and Kelly Blue Book, blah, blah, blah. How it's calculated. So it's between like 839 dollars and $2,200. Right. And vehicle condition, excellent. And then it says, this is far above the price range of similar vehicles. Lower the price to attract buyers. Which is like a nice suggestion, if it was just a suggestion. If it was just a regular old Eclipse convertible. Right. Or if it was just a suggestion from Facebook saying, hey, yeah. this might be why your car is not selling, which is fine. You're allowed to suggest it, but don't tell me what I can sell a car for. Yeah, and it was I forcing can't... him. He couldn't even put the number he wanted in there. Right. He put 9000 and it wouldn't take it. So then he's put he was going to put zero and just like put the number in the body of the ad and it wouldn't take it. Yeah. Because it was too low. So he put nine hundred, and then obviously everybody was joking with him, like, "Hey, nine hundred dollars! I'll be there tomorrow." Right. Um. So what? Now, one thing that I've always found infuriating when looking at um, ads for cars for sale on Facebook Marketplace, right, is when people put the price one two three four dot five six. Okay. So that's always been super aggravating to me. But that's what he had to do. So he put the car for sale for one two three four dot five six, 
so $1,234.26, because the Facebook logarithms allowed him to do it, and also it makes it so it's obviously not the real price, so you can put the actual price in the body of the ad. So that's how he wound up getting around it, which now I'll know possibly why I see that price, because maybe Facebook wouldn't allow him to put the price they wanted to, they right. wanted to put. So... Like, they won't let you put it for a dollar or zero dollars or ten dollars or whatever just to get interest into the ad. They make you put an actual number in there that's within their specified range, which in his case would have been, I think they took, I think they took like four thousand dollars or something they would allow it at, even though it was above, above the average range. But you don't want to advertise your car for a real sounding number because then people are going to be thinking the car is four thousand dollars. Exactly. Which is five thousand dollars less than you wanted to sell it for. Exactly. Um, so. Yeah, it's kind of wild, right? So, like, I'd go to put, you know, say I wanted to sell my Galant, I'd put my Galant on there for, you know, $8,000. And then it wouldn't, it'd be like a 91 Galant that's only worth $500. Right. And you're like, uh, okay. So, what are your options? You can do the $5 on Craigslist, which I don't think really killed Craigslist. No, I think there's probably a few cars that don't wind up there. Yeah, but, but. Overall, no. When we've been doing research for Craig Don't Tell Me, there's plenty of cars in there. Oh, for sure. And it definitely wiped out a lot of the garbage, uh, like the double posts and stuff like that. So, Well, the dealerships just posting the same car in every yeah. single city. Yeah. yeah, it made it easier to find cars. Um, and then I think I saw recently uh, Auto Tempest or Search Tempest is going to start doing Facebook Marketplace. So that's a little aside. That's pretty cool. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, and then I guess the other option you'd have is to do a bring and trailer auction. Which is up to them. Which makes it even harder sometimes. Because yeah, they, might they say can no, and they also charge a lot more than five dollars. It's ninety nine dollars, but then it's not much after it sells. There's nothing after it sells. Yeah, it's a flat fee. But the problem is, is that again, for a car like his car, you know, he wants it for nine thousand dollars. Facebook says he has to sell it for four thousand dollars. If you want to bring a trailer, bring a trailer would say, okay, you can sell this car here, but you're going to have to have a three thousand dollar reserve. So the car is going to sell no matter what because somebody's going to bid more than three grand, but they might bid five grand, and now he loses four thousand dollars. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah, that's that's a tricky thing. You got to have the right car for it. Yep. Um. Which I don't think this car in particular is. Probably not. It's probably yeah. better off. I would put it on Craigslist and then just share the link. Yep. Um, and it might even get featured on Bring a Trailer. Yeah, they do that a little bit less now than they used yeah. to because they have so many cars that they that they auction off now. Um, but that's the thing, though. They are the ones that are getting the eyeballs, especially yeah. for enthusiasts. No, cars. no, no question, no question. And I don't. I used to be mad at them for having like their super rules about reserves and whatnot because I tried to sell a couple cars from them that were I priced very reasonably, and they wanted to put a much lower or no reserve on. Um, but after hearing the amount of cars that they get, like put through their auctions and the reasoning they have behind their reserve prices. Um, I kind of, I'm not as upset at them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I just haven't had the right cars for them. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's their business. They can do what they want. Yeah. So I do still get a little annoyed because I think that their auction results kind of falsify values of cars a little bit. Um, uh, maybe in, in, the, in the same way a Barrett Jackson auction does, though, like people will see that one outlier and think automatically that their car is now worth what that car that sold for at Barrett Jackson or on Bring a Trailer is worth, and that's 
that's just that's just a human nature problem. I mean, it's so. it's is useful though if you've got some multiple results and they're all around the same or close. That is useful yes. for valuation oh. for like insurance purposes. Very true. Yep, I do agree with that. But like, we go back to the car that I was trying to sell in there. One of them was that nineteen seventy nine Honda Accord. Which was like not the most enthusiast enthusiast. Car, I mean, this was over this... two years ago, so I, I think now they would have done it. But back then, possibly. I don't, I don't know why they did. But they wanted it. they wanted to do a no reserve auction, and this is a, a thirty what thirty six thousand original miles seventy nine Accord. Yeah, and they and they wanted to go a no reserve auction, and I was just afraid that it would be that one week where there wasn't anybody on there who was interested in buying a seventy nine Accord, even with thirty six thousand miles on it, and I would have gotten you know. Two grand out of the car. Which yeah, more. and then so. what I think, what I've seen more recently, uh, cars like that, cars like that exact car have sold and they've sold for, yeah. for very well. So it yep. it was just that week, whoever you got just wasn't lined up with what you were thinking or something. And it, um, it seems like they're a little different now. Like right now, there's a there's a ninety one two door Pathfinder on there. Okay, with like twenty seven thousand miles on it. What's the reserve though? I don't know, but the auction was up to fifteen grand. Wow! So, that, I'm sure it's well over reserved. Yeah, because it's a '91 two-door Pathfinder, right? Which I, it sounds like we're being cranky old men when you're like, "These cars are," blah, blah, blah. but honestly, enthusiast stuff that's within that thirty-year range, it's expensive now. That's just the way it is. Yeah, especially if it's low-mile stuff. Exactly. Yeah, and uh, like I, w- I went, I went to the movies here. Uh, in Phoenix, Friday night, Friday night, I think, whatever, whatever night it was, Friday, Saturday night, whatever night it was, um, and we were coming out of the movies, and there was a group of teenagers, you know, probably 16, 17 years old, and they got into a first-gen two-door Pathfinder, and uh, I was like, oh, I really like that truck a lot. I was like, I would pay good money for one of those, and he drove away, and it had, like, you know, needed exhaust gaskets, and everything else but it's here in phoenix so it was like a super solid original truck and i was exactly. just thinking about those just thinking about those the other day but to think that one selling on bring a trailer now for 15 grand maybe i should buy one <laughs> yeah it's just the way it is and then i sent you the there i go falsifying those values thinking yeah. they're worth more now i sent you the mitsubishi jeep uh yeah. that was only up to like 1600 bucks yeah because those are kind of unknown again we've talked about this many times in the past nostalgia drives prices it does so there's probably a lot of people in the 35 to 45 year age range that had a ratty two-door Pathfinder in, you know, 1994. Right. And I like, man, I'd like to relive my youth and buy the car again. Where there's nobody really in this country that had a 1978 Mitsubishi Jeep. Exactly. So it doesn't have that same panache to somebody that that Pathfinder does. Correct. Where where is that Jeep at now anyway? I'd have to go look, but um, I mean I sent you a link for it. Yeah, I just pulled it up. It's still at eighteen hundred bucks. It's pretty cheap. Yeah, it ends tomorrow. Um, I'm sure it will go up. Mm-hmm. But I don't have the money to buy it right now anyway. So even if it was eighteen hundred bucks. <laughs> well, you know it is what it is. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to sell cars. A lot of different places to do it. Yeah, it's just all about it's all about figuring out what works best for you at that moment in internet time. For a long time, we had it easy with Craigslist. It was the go-to. I can tell you right away, though, what really helps is good, 
clean pictures. Yep. Lots of info. Yep. Um, not so much fluff in the, you know, in the ad. Just give me all the facts. Um, as many pictures as you can. Just lay it all out. Uh, I've done for the 89 Montero. I did a video walk around and a startup, like a cold start that I could send yep. the guy. That's why I did for the Cressida too. And uh, yeah, that really helped. So there's all these little tricks that you can do. And you basically just pre- present the car as best and as honestly as you can. And people usually respond to that. Honest so. honest is the key. I don't understand why people will advertise something and they'll say all these things about the car or they'll leave out the fact that it needs a full brake job or it has a huge dent in the door that it didn't photograph. Like, I've, I've always had a problem with that because I'm not going to go to their place to look at the car and then see this glaringly obvious problem and still buy the car from them. Yeah. Like, just tell me ahead of time. If it's something that's, like, buried and they missed it and I can kind of see why you would miss it and if I'm looking at it in person, like, I'll kind of forgive that. But if it's, like, super obvious, I'm like, oh, what the hell? Like, Yeah, what else is wrong with this thing now? Exactly. I like the little pros and cons that when when you do that. Like, give me yeah. all the stuff that you just replaced. And then give me all the stuff that you think it needs or it might need. And then I, yeah, can, which, I can work which with that's that. One thing, that's one thing that Bring a Trailer has always been really good at. Because they have commenters that are very, like eagle-eyed looking at pictures and they bring up a lot of stuff and some people find it annoying but at the same time these commenters are there to like make sure the cars being sold are what they say they are so that's okay that's good i want that i want people to be honest when selling me a car i'm not gonna if i know your car has got a big dent in the door and i know it needs brakes and it's priced accordingly i might still come look at the car because i'm not afraid of getting into a minor project but if you present it as perfect I'm going to be pissed. Even if you price it as a project price, but you tell me it's perfect, I'm still going to be pissed when I get there. Mm-hmm. So just be honest. One selling a car to me. So everybody sell their cars to me. Yeah. So I feel, so that's how you should do it for everything. But I feel that I'm not in alone in that in that thought. I feel that most people feel that way. Yep. So. And uh, so speaking of project uh, vehicles... I've been picking away at the Subaru. Gross. Um, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty cruddy. I, but I'm on the other side of it. Um, my dad and I did the time belt the other day, which uh, I'd only done the a twin cam time belt like one other time, and I've done some single cam ones. And then once as you far get it as lined on up, the Subaru, you mean? On the yeah. yeah. So basically, it's yeah. You say twin. It's technically it's a dual red cam, but it's really quad cams. Right. So yeah, you're talking, you've done a lot of twin cam other cars, but you've only done one other twin cam Subaru. Yeah. Uh, and and in, in that case, the motor was out of the car, so it was even. I've done them in the car. Oh, have we? Yep. Um, it's not that bad. Once you get it lined up, uh, there's a certain order. You put the pulleys on, and, and then you, you get it, and it's it wasn't too bad. So it's back together. I got a nice, uh, instead of buying a Gates kit this time, I got an ASIN kit. Which was cool because it's basically all OE stuff. Right. And a nice water pump, a nice uh, Mitsuboshi belt. I like those. Uh, new tensioner, new pulleys. So that car is good for a while on the time belt. There's no leaks from the front of the engine underneath that stuff. Um, I had to put the new water pump lines in. So these metal lines that go up to the heater hoses. That's kind of a pain because they kind of slide in 
between like behind the timing gears like there's like a plastic cover on the like driver's side of the engine if you're standing at the front of the car so i gotta finish hooking those up uh throw my heater hoses in and then the intake is basically ready to go back on because i fixed the replace the fuel lines and tighten the clamps up um the aftermarket intake hose is a little weird i think what i'm going to try to do it's like so close but a couple of the auxiliary ports aren't quite pointed the right way like when you look at the fancier ones they have a little tilt to them to like tilt away from things so i'm thinking if i take a heat gun it's just silicone like heavy silicone Maybe if I boom. heat them and then bend them a little bit and then take like an ice cube and cool them off real fast, they'll kind of stay in the position I need them to stay. And they do have flex to them anyways. But I think that might work. Hopefully. And then the only other annoying thing, like the radiator is super easy to put back in, but the two bolts that hold the top of it broke off in the radiator sport because they're rusty. So I'm going to have to drill those out and probably just put some rib nuts in. Your favorite thing. Yeah, my favorite, favorite repair thing. Um, the car's almost done. It's just kind of like took my time with it. Um, and then those yeah, parts. Yeah, you, you could have flat rated it and put it together in a minute and a half, but you didn't want to get burnt out by it, and you wanted to just kind of yeah. get through it and not stress out about it. Um, and then... So the junkyard parts I got for the Montero, the gauges, uh, that was cool. I gambled on buying these gauges because obviously you can't tell that they work in a junkyard car. Right. With the shipping and everything and buying the gauges, it was about 80 bucks for all the stuff. Yep. Which is still pretty cheap. Yeah, of course. Uh, so I put the center stack ones in and I plugged it in and, you know, the compass worked perfectly. The oil pressure gauge suddenly worked, which I realized when I had the old one out, it was like flopped way over to the left. Like it just, it's like missing the stop or something. And it okay. would always read low. So that one worked. too but far then, to the left. Yeah. But then the voltmeter didn't work. Okay. So I took my voltmeter out of the old one, put it in, and then the voltmeter works perfectly. It matches Excellent. what the scan gauge says. Yeah. Yep. Perfect. And then I had some of the plastic X polish. You know, the McGuire stuff, you put on plastic, like, windows, and, and I polished up the plastic on the front of the gauges. Thing looks, like, brand new. It's cool. Excellent. Excellent. Now, the big question, the tachometer. Yeah. So, I took uh, the tack out of the junkyard cluster, because, obviously, the junkyard cluster had 100,000 miles more on it. I don't want to put right. that in there. Right. And also, that'd be pretty shitty to do anyways. Um, it it bolt, bolted right in. Uh, I took out the old one, polished up the lens, and uh, the tack works now. Awesome. Yeah. I don't know what the difference is, how a 96 cluster with a, like, like 297,000 miles on it, and the tack works, and a 99 cluster with 197 on it, the tack doesn't work. It's just all in one little thing that broke inside there, you know, the right frequency it's, of a bump or somebody hit the console too hard or who knows it's pretty common though for the late trucks i think for them to not work yeah they use a slightly less quality yeah it's weird connector or but it is whatever what it is. Not, so now everything works 
Yeah, except for the... I tried swapping the fuel gauge to see if that was the gauge cluster. It still yeah. didn't work, so it's telling That's me I, I probably need a sending unit. unit. Yeah. But hey, you're almost there. So that's really good. I'm glad. I'm glad the other two worked. I'm glad that the compass worked really well. I'm yeah. glad that the uh, tachometer works. I just have to put bulbs in it because it was daytime when I did it, and I was like, I'm gonna regret not changing these bulbs right now. But maybe they work, so I put them in. But it doesn't light up at night, so it needs right. two new bulbs, which is not no a big deal. Nope. Maybe no I'll do that deal. later. Well, good. I'm glad everything's uh, working out in the truck for you. That's good. I haven't done any project car stuff because I've been driving across country since Radwood. So I uh, will hopefully have some stuff in the near future, but I have to do some oil changes and things because I drove the Eclipse all the way across country. So I have uh, the only issue I have with that car, going back to that car, um, is that the lifters are very noisy. Right. But they're not consistently noisy. Like you can sit there at idle and not rev the engine up or down and they'll go from ticking to not ticking to ticking yeah so it's just kind of aggravating so i'm sure they're just a little sticky yeah so i bought some seafoam to run through one heat cycle of the engine and then change the oil and hopefully that'll maybe clear up a little yeah, bit that might help a little bit but it's not a big deal no it just it's it's very loud and it's you know windows down kind of driving season here in arizona yeah. and Whenever you're in traffic, you hear echoing off the car next to you. Okay. And it's infuriating. So I don't want to hear it anymore. So worst case scenario, I can pull the valve cover off and, you know, change them out. Not the end of the world. And that... You got to pull the cam think. caps you gotta off. Do the, yeah, you got to pop the cams out. Yeah, not a big deal. It's It's not the end of the world, but it's something that is... It's loud enough and aggravating enough that I want to make it right. So I try the fixing the can first, and then that's that's the plan. I I, I got to change the oil anyway. I don't have the garage space to do it at the moment, anyway. So I'm gonna try the fixing the can. I'm gonna put the sea foam in, run it through a heat cycle, drive it around for you know a few hours, and then change the oil and hope for the best. But we'll yeah. see. It's probably got the original ones in there that have a smaller bore, and they just get. I have up. I have a strong feeling the car's never been apart. So. Other than to do a timing belt, but the, the head's never been off, the cam's never been out. It doesn't. It only has one hundred and thirty thousand miles on it, so I'm sure it's. Uh, I'm sure it's original equipment, everything. So, but yeah, that's the only project I have on the horizon. Other than that, just hopefully to keep driving and enjoying it. All right, cool. clean it up. Yep. Anything else? That's about it. Oh, one more quick side note. I uh, I ran into a pretty popular YouTuber on oh, the yeah. uh, on the tr- cross country trip. Uh, he goes by Honda Pro Jason. Um, I saw his car roll up, and he parked happened to park next to me at a, a, like a restaurant rest area. And I was like, a yellow brand new Type R. They didn't make those. I only know of one that I am aware of, and it belongs to that YouTube guy. I was gonna say. You sent me a picture, and I was like, wow, that car actually looks really good in that. It looks really good in, like, the original Type R yellow. Yeah, that, with, it's like a classic yellow. Yeah, with the bronze, you know, multi-spoke wheels on it. Um, so I was like, I think that's that guy who's on, like, he's a popular YouTuber about Hondas, and he drives all over the country and helps out people fix Hondas. 
Um, so I got out of the car and I walked around the back of it and I was, his license plate says Honda Pro. And I was like, yep, that's him. <laughs> so I kind of waited for a second until he came out and I uh, shook hands with him, introduced myself and a uh, super nice guy. So if you don't follow him and you're into Hondas, you should. Um, he was uh, pretty receptive to just talking about all kinds of car stuff and um, we exchanged pleasantries and uh, he went on his way. But it was kind of neat because we were both headed to Phoenix and we randomly wound up running into each other in the middle of Oklahoma somewhere. So he's out here on the West Coast for a while doing some stuff in Phoenix and L.A. and then going to be at SEMA. So if you get a chance, check him out, Honda Pro Jason. He's a cool guy, uh, super nice guy, and super knowledgeable in the world of Hondas. So there's that. Now I think I'm done, Andrew. All right, cool. All right. Done. Done forever. I'm done forever. That's it. Done Going forever. home. It's actually, we're, we're recording this at a weird time because of our busy lives. So it's like Monday morning at like 8 a.m. for me. So I got to get out of here and go make some money. Yeah. Uh, I got to go work in the Subaru. Um, yeah. All right. So as always, follow the podcast, uh, On Off Topic Podcast on Facebook, On Off Topic on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram at Race and Anger. And Brad, where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram at TSISS350. All right, cool. Keep cars analog and aim for the roses. <laughs>